Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number one of the Men of Metanoia podcast. You are listening to myself, Ryan Hassan, the co-founder of the Center for Healing, and Nick Sutherland, the owner and operator of MindFit. Nick, how you going, mate? Super fantastic. Great to be here for the very first episode. Super fantastic. Happy time. Let's talk about what metanoia means, mate. What does it mean? What does this word mean? Uh, so I came across it a few years ago, um, and I think it was on Facebook or Instagram or one of the one of the socials out there. And the way um, I first encountered it, it, it was metanoia um, to have a psychological breakdown and then subsequent rebuild. And it resonated with me because you know, ten years ago, for the listeners out there. Um, I'm ex-recon soldier, spent six years um, spiralling down. I was medically discharged with anxiety and depression, hit rock bottom and then thankfully reached out uh, and asked for help. I I realised the headspace I was in that the the anxiety I was experiencing there was so bad that it, it debilitated me in a way that I couldn't leave my own house, I couldn't open the door. And there was this moment where I was like, shit, if my, if my mind can do this, if there's no physical barriers, what can my mind do on the other end of the spectrum if I trained it properly? So that was my breakdown and rebuild. I thankfully went out and got some help and spent you know, 12 months deconstructing my thinking, uh, my belief system, everything, and then rebuilding it into a much much healthier way. So... Yeah, I mean, the Greek, looking at the computer here, the Greek uh, description is changing one's way of life resulting from penitence or spiritual conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just to change your mind. Basically. Sounds about right. Sounds like a breakdown than a breakthrough, man. For, for me, it was yeah, a lifetime of anxiety. This is a real short story. A lifetime of anxiety, which then manifested in hardcore drug addiction. And then once I was able to get clean and find out who, who I really was deep down and then decided to then open a rehab and help people who were in that situation. So I think this show is about two guys with lived experience of having big breakdowns and then big breakthroughs and being able to kind of share those experiences and maybe what we've learned along the way because, you know, we, we got connected by a mutual friend, uh, Jace, and you came on the Shift Happens podcast, which this will be released on as well, this first episode, and you've been back on again for a second time, and we basically get started talking, and we end up going off on all sorts of tangents and just having really, really good chats about life, so we thought we'd make this more of a regular thing, sitting down and shooting the shit. There is a, there is just a, it's one of those things, there's a good synergy, I think, there's a good energy in the room when we chat, I think, you know, with similar backgrounds, um, not in the same issues, but a, to, a, to a, the same depth and degree, I think. Yeah. It's the same kind of theme, but just showing up in a different way. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I guess I, I piggybacked sort of what you were doing and, and had such a good time in here. I was like, let's, uh, let's, let's see what we can do. And I, I just want to frame it, I guess, personally, in the fact that, oh, I don't consider myself an expert. You know, um, I don't even believe in the word expert. I think as soon as you call yourself an expert, I think you're drinking your own Kool-Aid <laughs> a bit. Um, there are people out there who are very knowledgeable and very smart and everything. But, you know, I think for me personally, the reality is that we're all just guessing as best we can, yep. you know. And so we're just coming at this from, from our own perspectives and from our own lessons. And, you know, I've spent 10 years running my own mental health private practice and you've had this up and running. So, you know, we are in the field, we are um, working in this space, Um, but yeah. And we're super curious about it, you know, and like something I've found speaking to you and then speaking to other guests on on my podcast, it's like people resonate with that. People love hearing about people who've been through the shit and sort of found their own path because it then gives people hope and also gives them some ideas about what might be able to help them or someone that they know who's going through some stuff. I don't know about you, but a lot of my clients come in and say the work we're doing is very refreshing. Like this mm-hmm. dude I had this morning, I was telling you about, came in for 45 minutes and he left like, oh, this is, this is cool. Like he was actually excited. And this dude suffers from anxiety greatly uh, because we spoke about how 
that's mental health strength and conditioning training. It's you know it's not therapy as such. Mm. Um, I unpacked in forty five minutes where his anxiety is coming from, how it manifests, you know, the, the causes, and he's like, oh, dude, it's sort of never been put to me like that before. So I think we're bringing a really fresh approach. Yeah. Um, and I've heard you say before, you know, you, the clients that you deal with, they like that we've got that lived experience because we're more relatable and we're more, mm-hmm. we're not, we haven't taken the clinical path and, you know, kudos to all the amazing therapists out there that have taken that path. Um, but yeah, I think people in this day and age um, want more than just sitting there and talking about things. Yes. They yeah, they want they want a shift to happen. <laughs> <laughs> they want to go through metanoia. We, we, we need a little keyboard with sound effects in here. No, we don't, we don't do that. <laughs> well, can, canned laughter. <laughs> no, wait till the shit I start bringing in here. Yeah. <laughs> so what are we talking about today, mate? All right, well, last episode, um, the listeners will remember that I came in and asked you some questions. You gave me some good questions, actually. Did I? What, I which ones did you like? I liked all of them. No, <laughs> well, you can't remember. Well, no, I can remember because straight off the bat, you asked me about, you know, if someone, a loved one is going through addiction, like someone's son or daughter and how to approach that. And that's a good question because... I get asked it a lot here. I get so many phone calls from people whose son or daughter is going through this stuff and they're not sure how to approach it. Because a lot of people do approach it. Not so much the wrong words that they say, but the wrong energy behind it. Because a lot of the information we get fed through media, be it news or um, newspapers or that kind of thing, really puts people in a very fearful state. And they think once a loved one's going down the path of addiction or drug abuse that they're going to be lost forever, yeah, which right. is not true at all. I think what we did touch on last time and, and what I was curious about, and you said it at the start, we, we both have very curious minds, I think, which is probably what got us into a lot of shit in the first place, yeah. but it's also <laughs> what got us out of it. Yeah. Um, and I was curious about the, the take, especially on the AA and the NA front, um, mm-hmm. you know, is, is t- teetotaling the way people have to take and you know, is abstinence the, the only approach and I asked you just before we started and do you drink beer because it was a genuinely curious question yeah. you said yeah on the other occasion um, I'll just yeah I'll just share about that because I think that's I, I get asked that a lot as well because people are like oh f- former former drug addict um, he, he must you know really have to watch out and you know he can't be around alcohol or that kind of thing yeah. but um, it's not the case so like any substance or behavior that I would have tried in the past to help distract me from myself, I would do it excessively, like way too excessively. And drinking was one of those as well. So, you know, when I used to drink, it would be, you know, last man standing, um, wouldn't want to, to call an end to it. I'd just basically drink till there was no alcohol left or, mm. I, or I fell over. And oftentimes alcohol used to be a very big trigger for me going to score drugs as well. Yeah. Um, so then obviously when I went through the probably the, the heaviest period of addiction, I was using ice and GHB every day. So using GHB every day, you don't use alcohol with that. It's um, number one. That's don't mix well? So I, I'll explain because this is important because GHB is very rife here in Melbourne. Um, basically, both of those drugs are processed by the liver. So, you know, the, yeah. when people drink alcohol, the liver will be able to get rid of, I suppose, you know, one standard drink an hour, something yeah. like that. So get, get it out of your system. It has to work overtime. So GHB kind of works on the same system. Now, what happens when both of those are in your system at the same time? Yeah, which does it go to first? What's that? Which does it prioritize? Yeah, that's, that was exactly right. So it prioritizes the alcohol first. Ah. Okay. So if I then, am I, if I've had a few drinks of alcohol and then I take GHB, now the issue with GHB, there's such a fine line between a, an effective dose and overdosing or blowing out, they call right. it. Um, like you could take two mils, right, in a yeah. plunger. If you take three, that could be enough to just cause you to blow out. So it's really, wow. me- measuring is very important. So what happens, you've had a few drinks, Someone's like, yeah, let's get some juice. Let's have some, you know, some G. You take a charge and normally you'll feel it in 10, 15 minutes, but you just don't feel it. That's because your liver is processing this alcohol and it's it's ahead in the priority line ahead yeah. of the G. So then people get into so much strife because they're like, let's take some I more. I didn't feel it. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, I'm thinking alcohol affects your judgment, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I'm guessing if you've had a couple of pints under your belt and you're trying to measure two mil and not three mil, yeah, that could be pretty dangerous oh, too. Oh, 100%. But it's like uh, people who know about a lot about G and use it a lot, they know just not to drink with it because they won't get any benefit because they know they won't feel it. Yeah. And then what happens someone will have another charge of GHB, all of a sudden they might have four, six mils in their system oh. and then it's amazing. They might have not had any more of it but then it could be two hours, it could be 12 hours later once the liver's finished processing all the alcohol, it gets all that GHB at once. And then someone will all of a sudden blow out or overdose and a lot of people who don't understand, they'll look and go, what the fuck's going on with this person? What, have they, what else have they had? But they've simply that whole amount of GHB just hit their system and it's far too it's much for them to handle. in a reserve tank. Correct, and yeah. And it's... it's the payload it's, hits. Exactly. It's just really interesting to watch. So anyway, because I obviously had that knowledge um, from fucking up before plenty of times, <laughs> but um, so I, 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 didn't, I didn't drink for, I don't know, six or nine months or something. Then basically I had my big moment, my breakthrough when I got off drugs and I was clean and I just didn't drink for a couple of months just because I didn't really feel like it and that kind of thing. I and think people should do that anyway, whether you've had a history of substance abuse or not. I, I did it for nine months, just got off the piss and felt infinitely better. Yeah. And so I think you feel infinitely better, you know, physically and everything, but also it's good to show that you're the boss yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I, I've done that with, with coffee before and I've like, because I love my coffee, and so I've said, oh, let's just take a month off coffee yeah. um, for the pure reason that it's like you want to show coffee that you're still in charge. Yeah, well, that's that, um, you know, and my five fundamental strategies that sort of underpin my work, the third one is relationships. Mm-hmm. I'm in relationships with everything. And so mm-hmm. what you're doing in that instance is really highlighting and showing to yourself that you can operate in a healthy interdependent relationship you're not codependent on coffee and you hear so many people i can't function in the morning without me coffee and you're like serious and then if they don't have one they're like oh kicking the dog and smashing the cat and all this sort of shit if that's not screaming codependence i don't know what it is yeah well that's the last time i had a break from it the, the catalyst was um I'd, it must have been on the weekend. Anyway, I normally have to have a coffee in the morning. I didn't have one. Um, then I think I was coming in here to the office and I started just getting this headache as I left home. And I'm like, what the fuck is this headache? And it just like was building up and building up and getting worse. And I'm like, it's not because of the caffeine, is it? And so anyway, I'd get near the office and I'm like, I'm just going to pull in and get a coffee. Anyway, I went and got a coffee. Headache went away about two minutes later. And I'm like, oh, all right, I was having withdrawal symptoms from caffeine. I better give it a break for a little while, right? So that was my catalyst last time to have a bit of a break. Because, yeah, that was kind of a realisation like, oh, gee, I'm pretty dependent on this thing if I'm um, getting headaches from it. So um, back to the, the drinking. So, yeah, I just didn't drink for a couple of months. And then it was footy finals time. And the, my, my beloved kangaroos were playing in a qualifying final or something. and They probably lost. Uh, no, I think they did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we don't win many finals. <laughs> so it's a safe assumption we lost. Uh, so and so if me, a few mates were like, oh, we'll go down there, the local pub, and, and, and watch the game and that kind of thing. And I'm like, all right. And I thought to myself, I wouldn't mind having a beer with the boys. Right, and so I let my best mate know who was obviously going. I just messaged him beforehand. I'm like, "Hey, man, I'm just letting you know, I'm gonna have a couple of beers with you guys tonight." Basically, I wanted to. I, I had this kind of inner knowing. I'm like, because I've addressed a lot of my emotional baggage and my demons. I don't think alcohol is gonna have the same effect on me. Well, it's a magnifier, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so like, if bef- there's nothing there for it to magnify. Correct. So if I had this before throughout my whole life, this real underlying anxiety and this unease about being in the mm. world, and then I discover alcohol when I'm 14 or 15, and all of a sudden I have a few drinks, and I'm like, oh, that uneasy feeling and that anxiety is starting to go away. It's starting to numb. Yeah. That's why it becomes very, very hard to stop. So as soon as from when I started drinking at 14 or 15, it had been just very binge drinking yeah. up until this point. So it was more of like an experiment, a self-experiment, that curiosity, right? I'm like, I want to have a couple of beers and just see if any of these old demons come up because back in the day, a few drinks and I'll be like, okay, let's start messaging my dealer and that kind of thing. So I told my best mate so that he was aware of it and um, yeah, basically went to the pub, had a couple of pints, watched the Kangas lose and I was fine. I then went home, went to bed. So you didn't go 
chasing any G or D- didn't even have a thought. Didn't even try and didn't crank even, up some juice. Didn't even know. <laughs> didn't this is even a new terminology. <laughs> you sound like such a newbie. <laughs> <laughs> Cranking up the juice. So I um, basically had a couple of beers. Said say to the seat of the boys. Went home. Went to bed. Woke up the next day, and I'm like, oh, that was interesting. I had absolutely no of those demons come up. No voices in my head saying, yeah, drink more, drink more, or go get drugs or that kind of thing. So the experiment. I had data back. Well, there was nothing in the within. Like when I stopped smoking, I, I went to the pub that night just on the off chance, um, just out completely out of the blue, and so I'm going to go for a cigarette. And so everyone went outside to smoke, and I sat there and I, just, I sat in that space and I observed myself and watched what was happening. And I, I realised there was nothing within me that resonated with cigarettes anymore. Mm. And I think that, so. There was there was the attraction had literally been lost. Um, and listening to you, what uh, I just want to reflect, there was two really great things you said. The first one was used as, a, as an experiment, so you you didn't set yourself up to fail by going, right, I should or shouldn't. There was it wasn't black and white, it wasn't good or bad. You you, you kept it very grey and open. Yeah. And then the second one was in the morning. You said that's interesting. So instead of yes, I've succeeded, or yes, I, you, you kept it neutral again. Yeah. So it was a neutral experiment with a neutral outcome. Plus, by letting my best mate know, yeah. I was like setting up some uh, boundaries or something, I suppose, around the experiment as well, so mm. someone else could watch the experiment. Um, but yeah, no, that is interesting because my whole life is one of ch- before this is chasing highs and trying to escape from lows. Yeah. So yeah, in the past, in the morning, I'd be like high-fiving. I'm like, fuck yeah, look what I did, blah, 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 <laughs> getting my ego involved. <laughs> and then I, that same ego would go, oh, well, you did pretty good there. Maybe you should reward yourself and then get caught in that cycle as well. So yeah, it was it was more of a, oh, that's interesting. I've just got some data back. And yeah, it's pleasing data because I don't want to have any demons coming up. Yeah. But that's all it is. And it, when, when we're, I think, curious and detached from ourselves, not... I don't know if detached is the right word, but just more conscious around what we're doing, then we can watch ourselves more curiously and understand our reactions. And even if even if I demons did come up, so let's uh, hypothetically, mm-hmm. let's say those voices came up and everything, if I'm still in kind of that curious state where I'm watching myself, I can now watch those thoughts as well, which means I'm a far more likely not to follow those thoughts than if I was just stuck in myself. Or you could actually reach out to your mate and say, mate, um, I'm having these thoughts. Can you get me out of here? Yeah. You're, in a, you're in a better place to self-manage. And that really comes from being able to sit in that space and, and you know, the work of Viktor Frankl in between stimulus and responses of space and that space lies your power to choose and that choice lies your freedom. The, the client I had with anxiety this morning, I described him anxiety stems from being in the, in the future and living in the future, trying to control it, being afraid of the unknown and everything. Depression stems from ruminating over everything that's happened in the past and woe is me and it shouldn't have happened. And inner peace and contentedness and you know, equanimity, that word, another word that I love, stems from being present, being in the here and the now. Um, and when we're in the here and there, when you're in that space between stimulus and responding, you are far more empowered. Your your capacity to self-manage is is unlimited. Where if you're in the future, you're completely reactive. Mm. If you're in the past, you're completely reactive. So you're operating in a different behavioural model, your stimulus reacts and then you go into that space of depression or anxiety or happiness, but you're still codependent on something else happening Mm. to make you happy, where if you can do your best, and what I'm getting to is I use that's interesting as a trigger to get into that space because it opens up the mind and it gets people curious. Yeah, and it looks like it gives you space, doesn't it? Well, when you you think about it, if if you receive a, a really bad text message, from somebody um, or an email or a phone call or something happens, you know, driving along and you've trained your and conditioned your mind to first thing it does is to go, that's interesting. It just It's like hitting a pause button on a remote control mm. and all of a sudden, oh, right, what's interesting? Why is this interesting? Oh, right, because this person has emailed me and there's vitriol and there's anger and toxicity and, oh, this actually says more about them than it says about me. Right, okay, well, I don't have to take this personally. So you can go through this process um, and stay in your power mm-hmm. uh, and stay grounded, stay connected to your resources instead of just 
yeah, here's a keys to my happiness. You decide you know, how I'm feeling today and just going on that emotional roller coaster. It's really difficult. Well, you know, my work are called the hard path, but at, at going into, it gives you the capacity to go into that constructive thinking rather than that destructive thinking where, oh, I failed, fuck it, I may as well just get a couple more hits of juice or yeah. whatever. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. Soon, uh, the parameters are so much wider when you when you use that greyness and that experimental and it's like, okay, cool. And then and then if something happens, you know, within those parameters, it's manageable. If it happens outside the parameters, you go into that catastrophizing mm-hmm. and ah oh, fucked up, well I may as well really fuck up and Eat the whole tub of ice cream or eat the whole pack of chips or whatever. Yeah, that's a huge one. That's that everything's fucked. Instead of, oh, this is interesting, this is what's happened. It's like, ah, oh, I still get caught up doing this a little bit. If I have something, you know, rough happen or I'm having a bad day and I could have been just so, so, you know, happy and, and blissful for the like previous three months, then I'll have like one day where stuff's not going right and my mind will got to go, well, your life's fucked. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah. And oh. so now, so now, my my challenge is then saying that's interesting to that voice in my head. But can you also, after you've done that, come out of it, so look at it objectively. Yeah. And I'm just doing a blog on um, being mindful of speaking in absolutes because if you speak in an absolute, it's very concrete, it's mm. very definite, you yeah. know. So, oh, my life is fucked. It's a statement, yeah, where... You said you've had three good months and you've had one bad day and you haven't even had one bad day. You've had moments where things didn't go your way throughout the day so you weren't getting what you want so you probably were just having an adult tantrum. Yep, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and well, It's not even, I suppose it's just a, it's it's a child tantrum. I think it's a, that, that a child, very childish yeah, part yeah. of me that's coming out. But it's you, the adult, that then has to deal, uh, have yeah. that tantrum. Well, the, yeah, and then the, the adult then has to say, "Hang on a minute," <laughs> maybe even have a laugh at it yeah. and say, "Hang on, let's let's have a look at this because I don't really think your life's fucked." So that's another tool I give my clients is to catch yourself yeah. and then laugh and then rewind and then change. Yeah. So catch, laugh, rewind, change. So, oh, my life's fucked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. I know it's not fucked. It's that irrational part of me. Uh, all right, let's rewind. What is my life? Well, my life's been great for three months. Okay, a couple of things happened today that didn't feel great. All right, I'm, I'm having a bad day. No, I'm not having a bad day. Uh, a couple of things. It's been a challenging day. All right, so all of a sudden you've gone from my life's fucked to I've had a really challenging day. Now, imagine getting home and the ripple effects that would have on the family environment. Yeah, you're not going to kick the dog. You're not going to yell at the missus. You're not going to ignore the kids. You're not going to go reaching for a bottle or yeah. anything like that. And it requires you to catch it, though, doesn't it? Well, because if you because if you don't catch it, then instead of it, that life is fucked for 15 seconds and then rewinding it. Yeah. Otherwise, that can last days. It can, and you will tell everyone you can because or when you when you find someone to tell, oh my life's fucked. Come on down the pub, let's have yeah. 17 schooners and hey everyone, look at how fucked my life is. I need someone to reflect my pain back to me. Exactly, <laughs> that's all you're doing is you're just projecting and spitting your venom. So have a think about the ripple effect again is if you can get into that space where you can self-manage your emotions and this is this is boiling down in a nutshell to emotional intelligence so the capacity to have self-awareness and then self-regulate right, so a lot of people start off without either of those things um, a lot of people in general have self-awareness they know to some degree that their mind's sort of racing from point a to point z um, but where people really struggle and the work that I do is all about helping people to learn the self-management part of it and to mm. self-regulate and to go, all right, no, okay, bring it all back. Come back into the moment. All right, um, compartmentalise it. Stop focusing on the negatives. You know, all these, um, I didn't bring the printout today, but the unhelpful thinking styles in cognitive behaviour therapy mm-hmm. you, know, you can you can look through that sheet and go I do that I do that I do yeah. that I do that I do that we all do it at some point yeah well something I've found as well I I will if I catch myself I'll automatically tell Melissa so like straight away because I spend my whole life internalising everything dibby-dobbing on yourself pretty much <laughs> that's what it is that's dibby, it's dibby-dobbing on myself yeah because my natural inclination is let me keep this all to myself and if I've had the thought like my whole life's fucked, 
I don't, I don't want to tell her that because she's a, such a massive part of my life. You don't want people to know that your life's fucked? No. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so if I tell her straight away, I'm like, babe, I'm just having one of those thoughts. Like I, I had a bad hour and yeah. I feel like my life's fucked. It's pretty yeah. funny, isn't it? And we'll have a bit of a laugh. She goes, okay. Yeah. And then, and then I, can, I do my own kind of, I suppose, version of that rewind and playing everything out yeah. and then it's gone. And then, and then it doesn't last for a few days and doesn't bleed into my relationship, my work, my speaking to my parents or anything like that as well. But it really, like, and you're just talking about your work, your parents, you know, your friends, sport that you play, anything. All of those are in the external, they're all external components of your life and you're the common denominator between all them. So if you're toxic through your thoughts being toxic, and you go into suffering of your own accord because of those toxic beliefs or thinking, then you're going to poison all of those elements. Yeah. Yeah, that's that ripple effect that I'm talking about. Yeah, because we, we wear that those set of glasses or that filter, yeah. which then yeah gets filtered out to everybody and everything in our life. But then you'll be hypersensitive as well and you'll go and catch up with you know, the missus or a mate or something and they'll say... You know, they'll try and take the piss out of you, but because you're hypersensitive, yeah. you'll take it personally. Oh, well, what are you talking about? I can't believe you said that. We've all had that experience with someone. Yeah, a bit, bit of friendly banter going around and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, someone just cracks the shit. Yeah, but they're on the lookout to take something, to twist it away from what it is. Yeah. And that's why the, the listener in the conversation always dictates the conversation not the speaker because mm. the listener has to interpret it and filter it and then they will hear it in their head in a certain way it's like that's why yeah two people can walk into the exact same room and see a completely different reality you know i, I had this very not long after i got clean and someone who, who was you know still in a really dark place and using i wanted to try and help them and we might have been going to an NA meeting or something, but we went to grab coffee beforehand. So we went into a cafe. You took him to a drug den. Yeah. Cafe, cafe drug den. <laughs> Caffeine drug den. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, we went in there and we sort of walk in, busy cafe, waiting for our coffee. And I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, this is a really nice cafe. And everyone just seems really cheerful and happy. And then she's like, oh, I fucking hate this place. I'm like, how come? Because everyone just looks really dodgy and really, you know, not, not right mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. We're both just looking at, and and neither of us are right. We're just getting it interpreted through different filters. It's at all that time. an illusion. It is an illusion. It's an it's a fucking illusion. That's why, why I use laughter in my work as well. Because when you can step out of it and come into a full acceptance that it is an illusion, and like it's your belief system is projecting this illusion onto a screen around you. That's that's where. You have to laugh because it's so irrational. It is so illogical. It's like this dude again this morning. I said to him, it's, it's amazing how people with anxiety sit in their illusion and then they try and bend and twist and shape the world to fit their needs because essentially they've got these deep insecurities. They're living in constant fear, so they need to feel safe and they need all these external things to be a certain way in order to be happy. And this dude's sitting there nodding his head, going, yep, I do that, yep, I do that, yep, I do that. And I said... But that, if, if we can get you into, if we can clear out your really toxic beliefs that are creating you know, this irrational illusion and make it a bit more, as we were talking about earlier, a bit more neutral, a bit more, oh, well, it will or it won't happen, you know, um, I, I will or I won't get this job. Stop being so codependent on things out there happening in order for you to be okay mm. and instead you being okay and then all of a sudden all these good things start happening. It's, yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah, we, I think... We, we, it's really funny when we find a story we've been telling ourselves or a belief system or something and we can start to then look at that and start to shift it and that can be really hilarious so you might have this idea about who you are it's like this is who I am this is you know what I'm like and this yeah. is how I act and then you realise that that's all just an illusion and a story that you tell yourself I think that's really funny <laughs> because you can start to go well, hang on it has to be funny because it if is. it's not funny it's it's just if it's not funny, I suppose we get scared in that moment because it's like, oh, what have I got to hold on to now if this yeah. part of me who I thought I was isn't actually real? But it's funny how we, we use all these past experiences to define ourselves and to cling on to this definition, mm. you know, and to define other people. So I, up until the age of 30, I labelled and defined my biological father as a prick because of the way he treated us. It wasn't until I reached a state of maturity, emotional maturity, where I could step out of 
my pity party and climb out of my wambulance for a minute and turn around and look at it objectively and put myself in his shoes. And we spoke about this, I think, in the first um, chat we had, and I was like, oh, okay, well, what would it have been like for, for this young man to have two beautiful children um, and to not be able to show them how much he loved them because of something that wasn't his fault? And he had a mental illness, not not mental health, and we can go into the, the difference between the two of those later, but he had a mental illness which stopped him from being able to um, care and love the people in his life. And so uh, how do you identify him now if it's not as a prick? Uh, well, because I could step out and I could look at it objectively and I could come at it from an empathetic place, um, I really felt for him and I was like, oh, that must have sucked. I stopped making it about me. Mm. I stopped being selfish. Because a lot of people, I think, get stuck with that because they think, well, hang on, if I forgive this person for what they've done or my upbringing or something, then I'm letting them off the hook in some way. No, but it's an expression, forgive people, not because they deserve forgiveness, but because you deserve peace. Yeah, yeah? That's an, hard for people to get past though, right? No, it's only hard for them to get their head around because they haven't done it before. Because like, yeah, because it's like you holding on to this idea of him as a prick wasn't, it's, it's punishing yourself. It takes more strength to let go than it takes to hold on. Mm. So if you keep holding on to this, this belief that you have and that's all it is is a belief that's creating the illusion um, then you're just going to stay in suffering and you know I can now he's passed away from motor neuron disease um, but you know I've got a tattoo of him and I love him unconditionally mm. you know I've had an amazing stepfather come into my life and he too has passed away and neither of them were perfect um, but, but, but now you can stop like holding a grudge is like me drinking some poison hoping the other person gets sick and i'll keep drinking that poison going yeah fuck you fuck you for what you did right so now you just stop drinking the poison well he's he's not even on the planet anymore but if i was still holding on to this a person who is not in this existence would still be dictating how i felt yep and they would still be controlling my life yeah and to me that's laughable because that's so absurd Mm. when you look at it it's like I, I can't get that anymore. No. But then someone can... You, you could use that then as an excuse as to why, well, this is why I'm, I'm stuck. Oh, this yeah. is why I can't hold down a job. This is that. This is that. And that's, that becomes kind of a crutch that this person's always going to have over Yeah, you. that's the, the limit. But if you... The more limitations you buy into, the more you're going to get. Mm. So if... You know, and that wasn't working for me. I, I, yeah. you know, as I said, I got to the edge <laughs> that's, of 30. That's the point, isn't it? Yeah. You look and look at it and go, hang on. The way that I've been looking at things has got me to this point and this isn't fucking working. Have a look around. What have you got? Not, yeah. a, lot of, not a lot of good things. Yeah. yeah. Got some good family, got some good friends. And, and a lot I of resentment. But I hadn't done a lot and I've got a lot of drinking and I've got a lot of emotional scars that are still toxic and pussy and poisonous. And mm-hmm. I, I better go and... You know, no one can help you until you're ready to help yourself. So it wasn't until I got in a space where I was like... I'm, I'm ready to, to start dealing with some of this. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, finally I can start releasing all that toxicity. And how do you get to that space? Mm. Are you of the opinion that it's just everyone's got their own time, they'll get to that yeah, space? Yeah, definitely. I think you come into it at the exact right time for you. Yeah. Um, I've got 16-year-olds that have done it. I've got 60-year-olds that have done mm. it. So I, I, for me, it's not necessarily an age thing. I mean, women mature emotionally faster than men. So it takes men a, a bit longer usually. But I don't know. I think um, it's, it's – once again, I, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. We don't know. It's, mm. uh, this, you know it could be – it could be a, something on a soul or spiritual level. It could be yeah. you know, past life or it could be who's a fuck knows. How, how, did, how did you know that it was time to change when you're at that point in your life? Well, Did you just get to a point where you're like, fuck it, I've got to do something? Yeah, I think that's a, I'm full of expressions today. The, the people only change where the pain of staying where you are becomes greater than the pain involved in moving. Mm-hmm. So essentially people love the shit out of their comfort zones, their comfort slobs by nature. And it's not until we start getting bed sores that we go, oh, maybe I better turn over or maybe I better go for a walk. Mm-hmm. You know? So I got to a stage where my life had become so uncomfortable um, 
and unsustainable and unhealthy that I had to start looking yeah. for other alternatives. So it's like in our mind we've got like two bars and there's like the, the hardness of changing and it's mm. like really high and then the hardness, like I just stay in the same, like staying the same, I'm just going to stay with this. But then that bar creeps up, creeps up, creeps up. Yeah. And then so you're saying as soon as it goes above, yeah. the hardness of changing. Ding. Ding. All right. Fuck, got to change. Right. Got to change. It's like the the caterpillar turning into a butterfly as well. Mm. Like, it, you know, why does a caterpillar change into a butterfly? It's just nature. It's, it's in its nature. So I think it is in our nature to change and to evolve and people talk about the meaning of life and everything. Jeez, we're going deep. Um, and for me, when someone asks me about that, my answer is, you know, A, we don't know again, but B, um, I think for me it's just personally to evolve. And it makes sense because if you look at it in a macro, our species over two million years has been about growing and evolving. But we're not doing a good job anymore. Aren't we? No. But it makes sense then, <laughs> we'll get to that. It makes sense then that on a micro level in an individual's life, that that would be the same thing. You'd think, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think we just, that's the meaning of life. We've solved it. That's it. Podcast <laughs> one, we have solved, solved the world's problems. Yeah. So we've done ourselves out of a job. No, Do you I, think we're not evolving? No, have a look at all the statistics and the data out there mm-hmm. as a society. I think, you know, okay, let's go micro again on a, personal level we all have sort of a, a path yeah we're all um unique and individual and we have a genuine and authentic path to follow you can tell when people are away from that path or at least i can um you know when they start going leaning on external things yep so coping mechanisms drugs alcohol computer games spending whatever the case may be and you now look at that on a macro level look at how many look at people running in and trampling each other to get into buy mm. shit in these you know so sales if we so then if we okay i like where you're going here because i think on a micro then with our life if our life's about growing and evolving and we go through this process of breaking down and breaking through yeah then as a culture are we in the breaking down phase before we break through to that next stage of evolution, no, we 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 keep um, we keep we're, we're too smart for our own good. I think like we yeah. we keep you know the, we keep revolutionising the, the industrial revolution and all these. We keep coming up with things, and now it's technology. And we, we, to me, that's us going down the wrong path. I think yes, we're very smart, we're very intellectual, so we're evolving on that level. But on a spiritual level, I think we're doing a quite a disservice to ourselves. But then, but then will this lead to the breakthrough then? If, they, if our culture and society no, is... No, because we keep, we keep creating things to band-aid it and to fix it, to mm-hmm. mask it. Um, but will that get to a point where, as a society, the pain of change of all that and not being so reliant on external stuff late. and technology... It'll be too late. Okay, we'll wipe and we'll be gone. Out. Damn it! That's that's a that's me projecting Damn it. the future. But I mean, you look at the trends, yeah. and that's what I'm basing that opinion on. That's all it is as opinion. But I think, yeah, we've had two world wars. We've had so much war. We've had, and it's, you look at step back and look at the world. Pretend to be an alien and observe planet Earth like it's a TV show for a couple of weeks, and it'd be a comedy. Yeah. Ah, you know, oh, look. These guys are killing these guys because of a magical person they believe in. <laughs> or the, or they, they've, they've drawn lines on part of the land and yeah. one side of the line is attacking the other side of the line. Yeah. Uh, That's what they say, like, oh, why haven't, you know, if there's aliens, why haven't they made contact? It's probably because <laughs> they've just looked and gone, what the fuck are these guys doing? Oh, thank God they're contained on this. On this. <laughs> when they, they, they've made it to the moon. Oh, God. Don't let them know we're here. <laughs> it's like that. I often think that, yeah, with our evolution, we have evolve this prefrontal cortex that we don't properly know how to use yet. Go back to two and a half thousand years to Socrates and Senecas and Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius and the Buddha and, you know, um, Chinese dudes as well. Lao Tzu. Yeah. We have devolved from from those beings, Mm. really. Like, we were into emotionally and spiritually smarter two and a half thousand years ago. We Mm. have devolved... It's interesting as well. I think, yeah, that a lot of those names you mentioned are now kind of back in vogue. 
Like you find a lot of like kind of influential people, people talking on podcasts or writing books, referencing Seneca and Socrates and all these people because they're like, I think we need some of this old wisdom with the current state that we're in. Well, but uh, people in these day and age are just so hell-bent on the latest research says that the latest psychology says and the latest, latest, latest. And they're so data-driven mm-hmm. these days, but it's, it's also subjective, you know, like one in ten men um, drinks alcohol and you can you can skew all of this so much that I don't know why I said one in ten men it's, it's way different to that but what know, country are you I in? don't know probably Yemen um, so but you can skew all that where I think as I said it's all coming back into vogue because that stuff's stood the test of time it's lasted it's not mm. the latest it's you can't crack it. Buddhism, they talk about, don't just blindly subscribe to what we're saying. Don't have blind faith. Challenge everything in Buddhism. Mm. And when you try it, you find you can't crack it because it's too logical. It's too rational. Mm-hmm. And you can't argue with that. Well, you can, but you can. you're going to get nowhere. In a no, home. it's true. I think a lot of like shamanic practices can be good as well because it's more like hey, go and experience this thing and see if it's going to add value to your life or you're going to be in a better state Yeah. as opposed to trying to tell people this is what you have to do. Yeah, but let's like take the experiment again, the experimental approach. See if it works for you before mm. basing a decision. Go out with a girl. Go out with a guy. Try something. Yeah. But go, yeah. go into it cleanly before you've preconceived this notion that it's going to be good or bad. Yeah. Go and experience it from a, a clean place, and then come back, review it, assess it, and go. Yeah, yeah. You know, it all comes down to what do we get out of our return on the return on investment of our time and energy. So if you go out with someone cleanly, you sit down and review it. You can look at it and go, Oh, I actually got a positive return on my investment of time and energy. So I should do that again. Mm. Yep, no worries. It's so simple. (laughs) Or same thing, yeah. It's like I tell people the same thing. It's like follow your energy. So it's like, oh, I'm thinking about, um, yeah, I'm going to go down to a men's shed and start doing some work and that kind of thing, but I'm not sure about it. Like, fucking do it. And then if you do it and it lowers your energy, just don't do it again. Do something else. But even when they're saying it, that's that's a classic internal battle is in a conflict going subconsciously which mm. is for me our most powerful mm-hmm. mind we're going go to the men's shed that's you can add some value you can do something but then the critical thinking kicks in and the insecurities pop up and go oh but i don't know if i should try and talk you out yeah, of it um because they're operating on a belief that uh oh, you know i have to be perfect or people i must be loved or liked and people your conscious like mind sounds like such a nerd <laughs> <laughs> My conscious mind, I think in my conscious mind, to be honest, has diminished in a, in a really wonderful way over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like I am far less conscious today than I, than I was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful for that. Yeah, right. Because what does that look like? Because a lot of people now talk about trying to become more conscious. No, no I think mindfulness is all the rage. Yep. You know, it's the, the latest and greatest key word. But... Uh, yeah, I think there's, for me there's a, a difference between being conscious and being mindful. I think being mindful is you are present, you're in the moment, you're not in the past, you're not in the future, you're just here. To me, conscious is thinking and analysing yep. too much. Mm-hmm. So I I um, see those two differently. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Different kind I of think we need to become less conscious as a society. Mm-hmm. Like, And that doesn't mean walking around as zombies and being unconscious, but just, you know... A client of mine over in Thailand was talking about, um, oh, we started talking about nature and uh, I don't know how we got onto it, but I said, just imagine you're the wolf. And, you know, I think we spoke about this as well. And the snow's this deep one year, it's three feet. And then the next year, the snow's four feet deep. And, you know, if you were to listen in, the wolf's not going to turn to his mate and go, hey, Eric, can you believe how fucking deep the snow is this year? Like... Seriously, it's up to someone's got to do something it's about it. It's this. up to my heckles this year. <laughs> like, how do, what the fuck happened between this year and last year? Then, right, write a letter to somebody. Let's where's, a, where's, where's some social media for us to complain on? <laughs> and I'm in suffering. I need the world to know. We give this snow a one star review. <laughs> <laughs> Not happy. <laughs> this snow sucks. Yeah. Um, but that's just, just about sorry. Just about people complaining about stuff. I was on. I can't remember what it was. 
but I, I tend to not look at reviews much because I tend to like experiencing things for myself. Yeah. But I was looking at something and uh, I must have looked it up on Google and then I say someone just gave it a one-star review and I'm like, oh, there must have been something kind of wrong with the service or whatever was happening there. She wrote, one star, the aircon was up too much and I was a little bit cold and that was it. <laughs> Fuck, now imagine going out with that woman. So, oh, the parameters that you have to operate to make her happy, yeah. that says a lot about her. Yeah. Sadly so. Anyway, back to Eric the Wolf. Back to Eric. Um, so we're talking about living within the law of nature. There's an ebb and a flow to things. There's, um, you know, everything's impermanent. Everything, so nothing lasts forever. And, and there's this constant change. And people, because they love their comfort zone, love things to stay the same pretty much. Um, and w- when we get stuck in that I need it to be stable or whatever, uh, instead of living in the flow of what is going on, then people go into that suffering. So, uh, and she said, oh, well, so I said, live, live within the law of nature. And she goes, oh, well, I go running all the time. But I've just realized I, I go running in nature, but I'm not actually part of nature because mm. I don't sit there. And we, we chatted about this and you said you touch the tree and everything. And, and, yeah. But she, she doesn't do that. She doesn't actually connect with nature. She just moves through it. And... I found that like a metaphor for how most people live their, live their life. They just, you know, even this it's term, disconnection. The, the human race. Why are we in such a fucking hurry to get to the end? Mm-hmm. Like we're moving through it, and people go, "I can't believe how fast time's going." It's because no one's ever present. Yes. No one's ever in the moment. Yeah. No, Eric the Wolf. I think this is interesting because talking about being conscious and that kind of thing. Because I think every every being has some sort of meaning there seems to be we seem to crave some sort of meaning with our lives right mm-hmm. now eric the wolf there's no debate about what his meaning or his purpose in life is eric the wolf is going to hunt and kill and eat when he needs to mm-hmm. eric the wolf is going to fuck when he needs to mm-hmm. eric the wolf is going to seek shelter when he needs to and it's built into his nature and he acts out that nature eric the wolf has no problem finding purpose or meaning in life he doesn't need coping mechanisms does he he doesn't now as humans we don't have this built-in meaning or purpose because we have so many options. I can get up this morning and I can come into work and try and help people with addiction and mental illness. Mm. I can also get up this morning and say, I'm going to go to the bar and drink all day. Mm. I can get up in the morning and say, I'm going to go do drugs and then fly to fucking wherever. I can that's say, I'm going to get up. Need, that's all we need to um, condition ourselves better. That's where we need yeah. to mentally strengthen, train our minds. I, I pulled up the... Uh, thing I used this morning with this dude and um, he, he was talking about how much he goes running and to feel better with anxiety. I said, that's just your coping mechanism. You've become codependent on running. And I said, let's look at health as in mental, physical, nutritional, break it down into three. People are hell-bent on getting fit. They'll go and hire a personal trainer. You'll go running to make yourself feel better, to get those endorphins. Great. People will go and see a nutritionist, they'll eat clean, they'll love eating clean, they'll macros and micros and all this. Instagram, my food. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag whoopsies, look at this. But the third one, which is the driver, which is the most powerful one, yes, they're all interconnected, yes, they're all interrelated and affect each other, but the most powerful one is the one that humans are neglecting, and it's the mind. It's the, We're not training our minds to focus on things that are healthy, you know, let's all be more like Eric the Wolf and have a purpose and stick to that and da 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 da. But we have to like, we have to grab that kind of thing. It's not natural for us because we have all these options. So, um, so it's training focus, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but I'm saying to my clients, my whole shtick, if you want, is to ask people to override human nature. And for me, that's us evolving. Mm. So you go back to cavemen, uh, we needed to live in fight flight. We needed to be on the edge because there was fucking dinosaurs chasing us and we were lower down the food chain. Now we've domesticated a heap of animals and killed most of them off. You know, fuck the planet as much as we can. The vast majority of them. Um, bees made the list the other day, man. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, we're, 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 we've become civilised and we've become all this. We don't need to be in fight flight mm. as much unless you're crossing a highway or... 
you know, doing these sort of things. It's old old programming, isn't it? It is. So now, because we're trying to find uses for that programming, then before when my fight or flight system was great in getting away from another tribe or getting away from an animal, now it's like, what, what's what's Jill saying about me? What yeah. does she think about me? So the ang- we all have anxiety and it's a really important part of us, but the anxiety will go looking for things to get anxious about it. It's, it feels a bit like a dormant part. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's... Um, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this well, about how obviously every emotion that we have is a chemical expression. Mm -hmm. So something happens or we have some thoughts, something happens, our body creates a certain set of chemicals that come together and that, so there's a set of chemicals for guilt, for fear, for happiness, right? And then if we keep repeating these emotions over and over again, our body becomes really conditioned to feel it. So say if it's anxiety or fear, my body is then come conditioned to it. So when I go periods of time without feeling any anxiety or fear, I will, that anxiety or fear will look for things to feel anxious about because I'm out of that comfort zone again because that anxiety and fear is familiar to me. So in CBT, they talk about how beliefs create thoughts and thoughts create feelings. Feelings sort of influence the choices and decisions we make and they ultimately create our behaviour. Mm-hmm. Stick an arrow on the end. So... When you say all our emotion, all our feeling, what do you say? Um, our emotions are there's a chemical expression. Chemical expression. In the body. So that's, say if, that's the third thing here. But here, yeah, the thing is, if I walk across the street right now and I've got yeah. my headphones on, and then I didn't see a car and they beep their horn at me, yeah. I'll fear, feel fear straight away in order for me to get out of the way of that car, and it bypasses my thinking and rational mind. So I don't think that thoughts always cause feelings. What about? So when I when I was riding my motorbike on a Friday afternoon, pulled out into traffic and the clutch cable snapped, my immediate th- process was to step into that space you know, and hit the pause button to observe, to look around, to go, right, now what do I need to do? I need to make sure I'm okay. There was cars beeping their horns and everything, but I didn't go immediately into fear mm. So I, because I didn't have a belief that was... Um, conditions to react that way right so I get what you're saying Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't I don't think either of us is right I think it's just yeah I think I think it works both ways yeah I think thoughts can cause feelings but I also feel like feelings can cause thoughts I Mm. do believe beliefs underlie at the bottom there I do agree with that but there are times like our our brain is designed that especially with fear that it'll actually they've done brain scans it will bypass our prefrontal cortex and hippocampus and go straight to the amygdala because it's like our body's way of saying we need to act without actually going through the thinking process if you if you look at someone's mind as they're you're doing meditation or guided relaxation or something their reticular activating system will shut down and and go dark because it's not pinging as well they Mm. don't have to um, they're not trying to criticise and analyse and do all these sort of things. So, yeah, and that's an interesting one. I just think, for me, if you create a belief, it sends, that'll create a thought that's, that travels down a neurological pathway and that will hit a chemical bank and that will create a feeling and then that feeling is going to make you then act mm-hmm. upon it. Yeah, so I think it works both ways. A little both way action here. <laughs> right, oh. A little from column A, a little from column B. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I I can see I have an open mind, so I can see your your way yeah. as well. But we both agree on the fact, like we said, whether which way you put it, that that anxiety or that fear will look for some sort of thing in the external environment to be fearful about. Yeah, it's going to go, well, once again, here we go again, we have as many th- problems as we think we have. And that's like people, oh, I've had so many clients that come in and go, oh, I think I'm sad. I'm like, okay, why? And they, we talk about it and I go, oh, you've had a lifetime of battle, a lifetime of struggle, a lifetime of conflict, and now you're at peace and now you have peace in your life. What if you're not sad? What if you're just at peace? Mm. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it's such a foreign feeling. And we think like there's going to be some um, magical moment when peace is 
bestowed upon us and we'll have this big experience. Now you are peace. But it just Where's happens. Where's my medallion? And yeah, <laughs> my little badge, little Boy Scout badge. <laughs> you felt peace. And now we think that because it's foreign to us, yeah, we can think, well, what, what is this? But people are, are constantly in conflict, whether it's external or internal. You know, they're always arguing with their parents or their partner or their boss or their colleagues or whatever. Um, then they come home and consume, consume, consume to feel better, um, to mask it all or to make it go away. Or they've got internal conflict going on and second-guessing, doubting, and oh, I don't know what's happening. And So rarely do people have it in their sort of list of things to do to learn how to be at peace. Mm. You, know, you look at people's list of things to do, it's always external. It's go and buy this, go and do this, go and see this person. Go and do rarely is it stop, close my eyes, connect with my breathing and just just be still for a while yeah train that stillness yeah yeah no you don't see that on many to-do lists does it bananas put, put that on your to-do list <laughs> coffee beans <laughs> yogurt mm-hmm. sit still dry cleaning after that <laughs> but that's that's why i went to the 10-day vipassana retreat because i wasn't good at sitting still mm. uh so i thought if i'm gonna learn how to be still 10 days of let's I love throwing myself in the deep end. But that came, um, that concept, you know, I wouldn't have done that once upon a time because I would have been afraid. I would have created all these barriers, these mental barriers, why I couldn't do it. Um, And when I went through my metanoia and my rebuild, one of the first things I did was to create a belief that I do my best work outside my comfort zone. Mm. So that's constantly throwing myself out of my comfort zone. The, the next one was I don't do stress. Well, you, ch- you changed your belief, didn't you? Well, no, I've reconstructed my entire operating system mm. because I stepped back and looked at it and I went, what have I created? And I wasn't liking much of it. So I went, right, I am the creator. I own and accept and embrace responsibility for my happiness. I cannot rely or depend or even ask anyone else to change my life for me I have to learn to do that myself so I went all the way back to the source and found the mainframe and a lot of defrag the system uh, a lot of it was out of date (laughs) (laughs) delete 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 one plus seven equal potato yeah and it was it was just it was not aligned my my belief system was not aligned with what I wanted it was not conducive with me creating an external world that was calm and peaceful and happy and you know so another one I've created was it will or it won't happen um, that's what I spoke about earlier it's just that let it come let it go let it stay let it you know, stop stop trying to force so much and just sit more in flow yeah yeah it's just that being attached to these extremes oh. and wanting and wanting certainty and clarity when nothing's all black and white, it's all grey. And the a, more we can sit in the grey, the better. But it's all colour as well. Yeah. You know, it's so, so many colours out there. Maybe we shouldn't say grey anymore. Yeah. In the middle between black and white is all the colours. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's a rainbow. That's where all the good stuff is. Yeah, it is. But I think um, in order to, to get there, as I said, you, you've got to hit that space where you're like, okay, it's not working for me. And you, having moved through it, you and I can both sit there and... We have the ability now, which is pretty rare, we can observe. Mm. And I think most people are lacking that capacity. Yeah, yeah. and I think um, coming to that realisation of saying, okay, the results I have in my life at the minute, the way I'm living my life, the way I'm interacting with other people, the people I love, isn't what I want it to be. Because of that, I fucking want it to change. Now... But I'm not going to... I'm not going to demand that it changes and have to make it change. No, you've got, you've got to, but I'll take responsibility. Yeah, but I think you've got to be careful because then you're just going from I want this to I want that. You're just changing your wants. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to let go of those desires completely. What about wanting to change? Yeah, but it's it's not being focused on what you think you want it to become. Mm. So, yes, it's not working for me, so... I, it, it needs to be different, but I have no idea what that looks yeah. like. I'm just going to trust. What I'm, getting at. I'm just going to trust that it's going to be whatever it needs to be. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try and paint this next, you know, portrait. I'm just going to let it evolve organically and naturally. Mm-hmm. But it's a desire to change, yeah. whatever that looks like. And yeah. sometimes for us guys, 
um, it does take us a bit longer to get to that point because admitting that in the first place is quite a dent to that ego that we've been so attached to. Mm. I'm glad I got rid of most of that. Yeah. I've, I've got rid of a little bit. I'm working on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is that ego. And, but I think that's, I mean, I reckon we'll sort of yeah. do a segue into next thing mm. because I want to talk about um, shame, which is linked to ego. So mm. I think it's a perfect way to wrap up today and, and set up next podcast is I think shame is the number one killer of men. Yep. And uh, we'll go into why that is and, yeah little segue i like that uh, this is what i bring to the table man <laughs> like you provide the mics i'll provide the magic perfect oh. the mics and the magic <laughs> <laughs> all right that is all for episode number one men of metanoia uh if you guys have any questions for us or things that you'd maybe like us to talk about so topics for future episodes you can hit us up my email is ryan at the center for healing.com.au nick Mine's just hello at mindfit.com.au. It's M-Y-N-D-F-I-T. Yeah, otherwise, if you don't send us topics, we're just going to sit here and riff. We'll we'll come up with shit on our own. Oh, yeah. But I'd like to hear what people want to hear us talk about as well. Otherwise, we'll just go deep and far and wide. So try and rein us in with some topics (laughs) if you like. Give us something to focus on. (laughs) Uh, Thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode of MOM. I just used an abbreviation there. Mum. <laughs> I, I, I am R-O-F-L. American mum. I'm rolfing. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in. We'll speak to you soon. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in to the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much and we'll see you all next time.